Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February the 12th, and we're so glad to have you join us today. We're going to have a great interview with Mark Davey, and I'll explain in just a moment who he is. But uh, before we do, gentlemen, very important announcement, just two days away from the big Valentine's Day. So be sure to uh, bless your love and your family. I guess Valentine's Day doesn't just have to be from men to their wives or to loves. It just could be for everyone, right? So let's all share the love. This uh, this month of February, I've been doing a two-part series on Sunday mornings called Share the Love. Don't keep Jesus to yourself. And, uh, of course, we can share God's love in many ways. So I uh, just want to remind you of that. And if you're a senior, it's not too late. You can call the office, but you really need to do it today. Uh, today would kind of be the deadline, Wednesday, the 12th of February, for our Teenagers Valentine's Day Luncheon. Uh, this Friday, 12 noon at our church, we're going to have a few door prizes and some music and uh, pizza lunch. It's going to be a great, great time together. Just while I have you here, just uh, by way of announcement, this coming uh, weekend, of course, is Family Day here in Ontario. So Monday is a day off. And uh, we're going to have just one service this Sunday, Sunday morning service. Pastor Trisha is going to be preaching, so it's going to be excellent. And uh, no evening service, but the next day, Monday, we've rented the Sarnia Arena. The last couple years, we've been at the Clearwater Arena, last number of years, actually. But this year, just to change, Sarnia Arena, Clearwater wasn't available at that time this year. So we're at the Sarnia Arena downtown uh, from 4 to 5, and we're also adding... Uh, time of fellowship with pizza afterward back at our church. So come by the church afterward. If you're not a skater, you can still come out and hang out at the arena with us and bring some hot chocolate, whatever, and just hang out and talk with people. Or um, come to the church about 5.30. We should be there 20 after 5, quarter, 20 after 5 or so, 5.30. And we're going to have a pizza dinner and open the gym up for the kids and just have a good time for an hour or so. Uh, hanging out and uh, just enjoying family day as the family of God. So that'll be awesome and want to encourage you to be a part of that as well. So uh, without further ado, uh, a couple weeks ago I sat down with Mark Davey. Mark and his wife Sharon are part of our church family here at Bethel and he and his wife run a ministry called Global Harvest Ministries or Global Harvest Outreach, Global Harvest Ministries. And uh, they've got a staff, they've got quite a uh, ministry that's happening. Their calling is to all the nations. They travel as evangelists across Canada, but uh, their main focus is has been and is in Northern Africa holding mass crusades. Mark, over the last number of years, and he'll tell you, has seen literally thousands and thousands come to Christ. And uh, I think the count now is over a million decisions. I think he talks about it in this interview. And uh, they've also been getting into uh, the Middle East. And Mark's going to explain some of that today. But here's his story about coming to the Lord and feeling the call of God and what their ministry is about. So we're going to end this podcast with this great interview with Mark Davey, uh, evangelist, missionary, and um, just lover of the Lord and uh, being used of God in a great way to win souls with signs and wonders following. Here's that interview. Good day, everybody. I want to welcome you to the Bethel Podcast, and we're really excited today to have with us 
evangelist Mark Davy of Global Harvest Ministries. Welcome, Mark. That's good to be here. Glad to glad to have you. Uh, I was just actually thinking before we started the podcast when the first time we connected, we met, and I can't exactly remember. Hate to say it, uh, I think it was a ministers meeting in Hamilton uh, back maybe ten years or so ago. Like I'm totally just pulling here from the air. Could be. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think we're in Hamilton and ministers meeting. I think that's the first time I met you. And uh, I'm not even sure then if I just had you come and preach or how we got yeah. connected. But anyway, just skip forward here. Um, you have family that live in Sarnia, your daughter, Charity, and, and uh, son of law Michael attend Bethel. And uh, you have another daughter uh, that is, uh, lives in uh, Sarnia, attends uh, Lakeshore Church with her husband. And now you guys have just recently relocated from the London area to the Sarnia area. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So we're so blessed to have you and your family, and uh, so we want to just have an opportunity to have a chance to get to know you, and for our church and whoever else listens to just a chance to get to know who Mark Davy is. So let's go way back. I mean, we can't remember 10 years ago when we met, but let's go way, I mean, we got to go way, 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 way back. back to the beginning days of Mark Davy, born in Ontario. In Hamilton, Ontario. Hamilton, Ontario. And your parents were pastors, is that right? They were, at that point when I was born, they weren't in the ministry. They had gone to Bible college, but they were kind of lay ministers okay. uh, involved in the church, but not in full-time ministry. So what would have been your home church? Uh, would have been Central Gospel Tabernacle, okay. King William, West Avenue in Hamilton. Then we, when the church burnt down in 69, yeah. we built a church called People's Church on uh, Mohawk Road there in Hamilton. Okay, so the famous People's Church in Hamilton. That's the famous it, People's Church. That's what it became. Yeah, All right. great church. Great. So yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. Yes, Your parents did. did then go into full-time they did pastoral go into ministry. Full-time pastoral ministry. And you were a child at that time? I was a teenager. Teenager. Okay. Yeah. And what was your experience like being a PK? <laughs> well, there's all kinds of different pressures on you, but I don't think I really let it get to me too much. Uh, sure. I was serving the Lord, so it wasn't a... Yeah. It wasn't uh, anything that bothered me by any means. Yeah. So so you came to a place of faith as a child? Seven years old in oh. uh, the old uh, Central Gospel Tabernacle there that J.H. Uh, Blair, I don't know whether you know these names. But I do. I know Blair. Built uh, that church and, and then... Uh, He's I, obviously in heaven he, for yeah, many he, years now. But, gave yeah. my life to the Lord on a Sunday night. Seven, Come on now, a Sunday seven, night Sunday night service, evangelistic service. The place was packed, <laughs> and I just when the altar call was given, I just began to weep, yeah. and I knew I was a bad boy, yeah. and I but I didn't know how to fix it, and so because I was the youngest uh, of the of, I was the run of the litter and the youngest of the litter, so I was always you know being uh, told I was bad and all that. So but I gave my I, that night the Spirit of the Lord touched me and. Uh, my father would sit beside me and brought me up to the altar, and that you know everything's history now. But that was okay. fifty-one, nineteen fifty, or fifty-one years ago. Not nineteen fifty. Not quite that old. I'd have to do the math. But, yeah. Okay, fifty-one years ago. So you kind of gave away your age here, but that's all right. That's okay. Um, uh, fifty-one years ago. So, at, so how many siblings did you have then? You said you were the youngest. Three, three sisters. Three sisters. One brother, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. And that's a memory you remember. I mean, you remember that moment distinctly. My yeah. age seven was a was a real gear that had impact on me. I was saved. Got called in the ministry. Okay, um, called in the yeah. ministry. How did you know? Saw you got, my, got you? healed that year as well. Too. Oh wow! So, yeah, so tell us about that. 
Well, I was, my mom went to a hospital in a, in a car three and a half months later, sorry, two and a half months later, she came home in an ambulance. She had had uh, surgery on her back. It didn't, uh, they opened her up. She died on the operating table. Um, they brought her back to life. Um, and she had an experience with God, she says, and that's a different story. But uh, when they brought her back to life, the doctors told her she's never going to walk again because they had made some mistakes. And so when she came home, she uh, was laying on the bed. Uh, she called me to the room at seven years old, and she said, I got to tell you something. Um, doctors say I'm never going to walk again. And I begin to cry because I'm seven years old. Sure. And of course, that's bad news, anyways, yeah. for anybody. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but she said, I believe God, and I know that uh, I'm going to walk again. I don't know how, don't know when, but I believe God. So a couple of preachers, uh, Bud Williams and Hope Smith, okay. uh, came into uh, the hospital room. And Those are uh, big Pentecostal names. Yeah, Pentecostal names. Yeah. Came into the uh, hospital room, prayed for her, and she said, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'll walk again. So it was just a couple of days later. Uh, the doctor came in via when that's when doctors made house calls and came in to try and get her out of the hospital uh, out of the bed into the wheelchair and she said I'm not going into it and of course the doctor got quite uh, stern and I got angry I wanted to punch him in the knee <laughs> or a little higher and uh, but uh, at any rate uh, my mom said just stand on my feet the doctor said you can't stand and there was a little bit of a Argument there. Finally, he said, you got to be realistic about this. You know, this is going to be your life. Oh. And uh, my mom said, no, it's not. Just stand on my feet. The doctor said, you can't stand on your feet. He turns into the VON, said, okay, just stand her up. She'll learn as if she'll fall over and we'll catch her. Right. And she stood on her feet, lifted up her hands to heaven. I can remember the day. Wow. It chokes me up when I really think about it. Right. Um, but I remember the day she lifted up her hands and all of a sudden, she put one foot in front of the other and began to walk. So, um, you know, the story of that was that was my first miracle. Right. Uh, it was so miraculous that the doctor, who was an unbeliever, uh, friends of my family, friends of my parents, but unbeliever, gave his heart to the Lord. And until he died, he, he became a, a supporter of our ministry monthly. Wow. Yeah, so it's quite, a, quite an interesting story. That is an amazing but story. But my mom walked. She's walked all over Africa and, you know, all over the world uh, as a missionary. Wow. And uh, so it's quite a miraculous so to that, see when you're seven years old. Well, for sure. So that would obviously really shape uh, your understanding of God and your whole approach to ministry and life. Like this miracle. Absolutely. Happens. Absolutely. Wow. Serve a God of miracles. Yeah. Yeah, so man, we're going to get into that because miracles is a big part of your ministry and emphasis uh, here in Canada. We'll talk about your ministry, but I don't want to just keep going here. That you so saved at seven, saw this a tremendous miracle uh, through your teenage years, serve the Lord. Yeah, and uh, I mean, obviously, we all have I had our, my moments. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> let's go. Part, let's talk about that more. Let's, <laughs> let's not. Uh, call of God. How did you get the call of God? So you, I said seven as well. Is when I the, remember. Uh, Interestingly, a missionary come to the church. I believe they were from Rhodesia, okay. uh, which is now Zimbabwe. Uh, they showed a film that night. I went home and uh, I had this kind of feeling about Africa. I woke up in the morning and I felt like I heard the Lord, voice of the Lord saying, you're called to be a missionary and you'll do a lot of your ministry in Africa. Wow. And so I remember writing in my little Gideon's Bible. I had other Bibles, but I wrote it in this Gideon Bible and it started off really small because I was seven years old. Yeah. And it just got bigger and bigger. Called to Africa, you know, yeah. 1971. And, uh, you know, uh, it's quite interesting. That's when God called me. So I had that in my heart all the way through my teenage years. Okay. You know, 
Very good. Wow. So seven was a... Uh, can I just say something? Yeah, you can say whatever For you anybody want. who's listening, yeah. just if you haven't been called when you're seven years old, doesn't mean you're not called. Right. Some For people, sure. I had the context. I was born in a Christian home. I was already saved. I was influenced by missionaries and by the anointing. Some people, they didn't get saved until they're 23 years old. Right. And they carry this thing, well, God didn't call me when I was young, so therefore I'm not really called to do anything great. I think that... Uh, God speaks to people at different times. You might be a Christian all your life, yeah. but it might be when you're 30 or 40 years old that God speaks to you. And, and, and so you need to recognize that. And just because you didn't have this experience, don't deny yourself of your own very own experience. I have my experience, but you can have yours. So that's a great word. Yeah. Very true. The call of God yeah. is irrevocable, but it also can come at any time. Because for like my example, my parents didn't go into ministry, right. full-time ministry, right. until my dad was 45 years old. Okay. So all these years, we had, you know, got married, had too many kids, right. didn't go into the ministry, and right. then at 45 years old, ends up, you know, going to Africa and being right. a missionary. So, it's, you know, it, it can happen at different times in your life. We need missionaries no matter what age you are. Absolutely. So that's a great word. That's very true. The other side of that is God can speak to kids, to children, right? Absolutely. I mean, any age. Right. And uh, the fact that it's seven years of age, an understanding of salvation, obviously you grew in that, but an understanding of salvation, witnessing the miraculous, and this call of God comes on your life when you're tender, when you're seven. I just even think of the story of Samuel, you know, where God's speaking and, and finally Samuel says, here am I, Lord, you know. And uh, so, so that's powerful too. I mean, we just... Uh, with children's ministry and, and um, you know, God can speak to a young child's heart. Obviously, at some point, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Probably when I was seven. Okay. <laughs> the number of completion. All right. Everything got completed. Baptized in water when I was seven. Wow. Yeah, sure. Seven. A little bit. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So, teenagers, your parents are pastors. You're growing up yep. in this church in... Africa, um, yeah. No, Africa. Oh, well, People's Church. People's Church, yeah. And then they went into ministry going to Africa. So. Oh, they were going to yeah. Africa. Yeah, they went to Africa. Oh, okay. They went as missionaries to yeah, Africa. missionaries, yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that. So was that, and pastoring a church in Africa? Or they were, my father was building um, the Bible college there. Yeah. Um, yeah, we also started a church and uh, teaching in the Bible college. So, so here's a question. a church, we did all kinds of things. So here's a question for you then. Um, like you had these missionary couples talk to you, at, uh, came to a service, and you went home, and a sense of God's calling you and wrote Africa. Did your parents already have a stirring about Africa? No. No. But when they said uh, they were going to Africa, I said, nah, that makes sense. I mean, you know. Okay. I wasn't shocked. Right. I mean. So they felt a call, but later. You were yeah, like. Later, like, much later, yeah. Much later. Yeah. So you felt this call first. Yeah. Like just Africa, and I didn't. I wasn't too verbal about it. Yeah, I'm like you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, sure. Joseph, you know, I didn't go around. Yeah, okay. telling everybody, but I had it in my heart. But here you are in Africa as a teenager. That's right. And uh, when I was seventeen years old, they asked me to do a little uh, youth Bible study. Yeah. We started up uh, uh, in the upper room church that Glenn Caulfield had started there in, in in down in downtown Harare, formerly Salisbury, and uh, so I did this event on a Saturday afternoon and <clears throat> started off with about 20 people, <clears throat> excuse me, and before uh, before I left, uh, it was well over a thousand people just in one year, just uh, grew uh, in an amazing way, so it was just, so, you know, 
I didn't really like Africa, so uh, when I left, I was like, okay, God, I did what you wanted me to do, so. Okay, so maybe you're thinking the call was completed. I did it. <laughs> okay, so uh, so you're li- living in Africa as a teenager. How would that just be as a teenager? So you didn't, things you didn't really like about it, I mean. It was, it was tough, okay, yeah. I went, you know, I went when I was 15 and a half, yeah. or 16, rather, and uh, so, uh, you know, you're already, in a, in a sense, of course, we're in a different time zone right now, but back in, in the 70s, I mean, you know, when I was 16, I had my own car already. I'd already finished school. I'd already started working. You know, it's hard to believe now. Right. But uh, so when I went to Africa, I was like a little kid again for a little okay. while, you know, so okay. it was a real, a real uh, time warp for me. Sure. You know. So then uh, you're feeling the call to go to Bible college. When I was in, when I was in Africa. When I was in Africa. Yeah. And uh, so Mark and I went to the same Bible school, uh, different years though, because he's much older than me. Much, much, much <laughs> wiser to come. Yeah, very good. Um, and uh, so the school we went to was called Zion Bible College in uh, Rhode Island. I think you probably were in East Providence, That's right? right. Yeah. Because the time between Mark and I, the school moved from East Province, Rhode Island, to Barrington, Rhode Island. So uh, we were really blessed to have the new the new campus, which was an old castle, and yeah, get into that. But you were in the liberal school. Yeah, <laughs> I was under the law. So why did you? Why did you choose? Yeah, it was pretty under the law when I was there too. But yeah, I, I know there's some interesting stories. But uh, Zion, how did you end up choosing to go to Zion? Well, as it turned out, all the missionaries that we fellowshiped with in Africa, other than the Caulfields, uh, they were all Zion graduates. My father and mother graduated okay. from Zion okay. in 1952. In fact, my father graduated with uh, A.E. Shuttlesworth, which is Ted Shuttlesworth's father, right. and his and his wife. Uh, uh, they graduated the same year, 1952. And so we'd go back to Zion when I was... Teen, a young kid and then teenager and of course A.E. Okay. A. Shuttlesworth was a, a great uh, speaker often would be uh, preaching there and uh, you know really felt called so I knew it if I, when I went so to So your parents country. and the Shuttlesworth were friends? Uh, yeah I mean not you know they lived in two different countries so right. they, they saw each other but they knew each other knew, yeah of course knew who each other were and whatnot and, okay. and graduated together so uh, yeah so when it felt time to go to Bible college uh, Zion seemed to be the right choice yeah. yeah. Incidentally, uh, I met a girl in in Harare, Zimbabwe. Uh, second white person I met, other than the missionaries. Okay. And uh, it was the very second day I was there, and she had come to say hello to Pastor Caulfield. My dad and I were going to some, I think, immigration or whatever, and she was walking down the street, and I saw her. So I thought, mm, not bad looking, you know. And uh, so we got to be friends. It turned out she had already applied to Bible college. I had already applied to Bible college. So we actually went together. Okay. Uh, and do I know the name of this uh, you female? Do. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't tell it if, uh, if it wasn't my wife. Yeah. That would be like, yeah, that would be crazy. But she wasn't my wife then. We didn't I understand. for like seven years. But you actually met Sharon, your wife. Before. I thought maybe you met at Zion, but yeah. you actually went... Because she's yeah. from, Af- so you get this call guide to Africa, your parents are going to Africa, you meet this girl in Africa, you come to Zion in Rhode Island. We went States. to Zion engaged, okay. which was a good deal. Okay. Because uh, when we went, you know how they do that interview, you meet yeah. all the students and meet all the faculty are standing at the board, it's all sitting around and you're like, yeah. got your knees knocking, you're all nervous. And so I said, I just wanted to let you know that the lady that was in before uh, is my fiance, we're engaged and 
we're planning to go all three years. Well, you didn't, you know, and, uh, you know, Doc Hero, he looked at us and goes, special privileges will be granted. So <laughs> from the very first uh, month, we were allowed to go on a date every week. So that was okay. kind of cool. So. so just a little bit of context, the school that we went to, and I think maybe even, but I know when I went, First year, like there was like no dating, no allowed. dating whatsoever. Second year, you could go once a month with another date, couple, right? But you had to be with another yeah, couple, exactly. and you had to get like special permission. Special permission. I know. <laughs> and then third year, you could uh, go once a week. Once a week. But again, you had to get permission. You had to say what you're doing, where you're going, all this, and yeah. So similar. So you got special privileges every week. Wow. From the first year, so that was. Kind of, yeah, it wasn't nice for the other people. I felt bad for them, but... Yeah, okay. Any uh, any Zion stories <laughs> that you can tell? <laughs> uh, we can talk. Yeah. We had, I, you know, I had a great time in Zion. I, yeah. back. I, I, uh, I enjoyed my Bible college years. Leonard Hero was the president then. He was. So I hear he was, like, told the Prince of Preachers, like the T.D. Jakes of his time. Right? He was. He was. I found it to be amazing... Um, but the last few, he was, it was the last couple of years. Yeah. In fact, he resigned in between the second and third year. Okay. So when we came back, it was, uh, Sister Campbell uh, okay. was the pr principal, but, uh, he was in his last, last years. He was in, he was in a wheelchair. Okay. Uh, he preached from a chair. Okay. And so he sounded more like the Godfather. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, when you know that you know that you know, you know, yeah. and, uh, he, you know, get going but he sounded like the godfather uh but he was an amazing preacher he preached from uh right off the top of his head uh genealogies and oh, wow. uh, somehow pull of salvation i mean even at that age he'd lift up his hand and says i'm finished now you need jesus come to jesus now and people come from all wow. over the sanctuary come to the front and give their heart. it was quite spectacular i would have Love to have been there in the 50s right. uh, when it he full was, strength. was at full strength. Yeah. I've heard many messages, you know. So. Yeah. But yeah, I had a lot, I had an encounter with God. The first uh, couple of months, uh, you know, I had a lot of times of consecration. We don't talk about it as much as we should. I know you talk about it, but churches don't talk about it as much as they should. Right. And uh, we had a time of consecration where we just came to the altar and kind of yielded our life and laid down everything on the altar. So, But I remember going to the altar and saying, well, Lord, you told me to go to Africa, right. so I've done it. So what's my next assignment? So here okay. I'm on my first year of Bible college. I'm asking God, what's my next assignment? Just kind of like to know. And uh, I did what you wanted me to do. And, you know, uh, and God said, you're going to go back to Africa. And I was like so disappointed. And it was like, because <laughs> like, even though... Uh, I was engaged to an African, European right. African, white African, but uh, we had kind of agreed that, I had agreed with her that we weren't going to go back and minister in Africa, we're going to get married in Canada. She kind of smiled at me. But uh, God spoke to me that first year, and so I realized that it would be a significant part of my life. Um, and it was really a yielding, because, and again, I understand the context. If you're an African and you listen to this, it's not that I don't love you. Uh, I love you, and I love you know some of the culture there. Um, it's just that we were in Zimbabwe when it was like, it was Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, then it was Zimbabwe. And uh, so we were there when the whole country was shifting from apartheid to... So some difficult years. It was difficult. Okay. Uh, there was very uh, pointed things said on both sides. It was just not a nice place. I didn't like it. I was too young probably to 
even be able to handle it all or process it all, really. And so I just said, well, I don't like it, you know, so. Right. So, but um, since then, I mean, we've done so many, much ministry in Africa. So while you're in Bible school, first year, you had this, again, God moment where you just felt Lord speaking your heart, Africa. It wasn't ex as exciting to you at that time, but obviously it's very exciting today. You and Sharon went there engaged. You didn't marry during your time at Zion. You waited till Zion. Married right after we. Oh, okay. So three years engaged at Zion. And got married right away after school. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was your first uh, ministry? Started pastoring in, uh, assisted pastor in uh, Evangel Temple. Uh, Toronto Evangel in, Temple? In uh, Napanee, Ontario oh, okay. with Napanee. Colin Clue. Okay. Yeah. And there for a few years? Was there for a couple of years. And then? Started a church in London. Started a church in London. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, we had a great time in Napanee. Yeah, okay. Really enjoyed it. I think it was a great place to start. But, I, yeah. you know, having said that, Bible college gave us a lot of theology. Right. Um, I can't say that it really uh, gave us all the tools to do the ministry. Right. Some of it you just learn as you go. It doesn't. Um, but even it, though we had practical ministry, I was in charge of nursing home ministry. Right. I have an interesting story to tell about Bible college that, I, that you know, at that time, um, when I was in, we, everybody had to sign up for missionary prayers. So if you're going to be in Bible college, you got to pray for the world, you got to pray for souls which is a good thing to do. And so Sharon and I both signed up for Southern Africa. It included Zimbabwe and okay. South Africa. So okay. her family was in South Africa and Zimbabwe. And my parents at the time were in Zambia yeah. and Lusaka, or rather Kitwe. And uh, so they were ministering. So I wanted to pray for the Southern part of Africa. And when the list came out, Sharon was in South Africa and I was in North Africa. Okay. And I know they weren't trying to divide us because we're a couple, right. uh, because I think we're a model couple. <laughs> um, but uh, I think uh, I went to the principal, which was uh, Sister Brunetto. Yeah, I remember Do you remember her? Yeah. Yeah. She was and nice she to was, me. She was very nice to me. <laughs> she was simply intimidating. Right. And, uh, but she was nice. And when I went to her, I said, I think you might have made a mistake. I had signed for South Africa. And she said, my dear young man, we prayed about it. And we believe that you're supposed to be in North Africa. Oh. Well, see, um, so every year, every week we prayed, we fast and pray for Northern Africa. And the Middle East. Yeah. And so I, it's in that time, in that context at that time, that I received my call, more specifically into North Africa, Middle East, and the, um, right. the Muslim people. Right. Which, even at that time, I didn't totally understand what I was getting myself right. into. Um, so, you know, to the listener here, uh, just to get in context, like that's, um, you know, like, like Northern Africa would be like almost like unknown, like... Uh, even today, predominantly Muslim. I mean, it's changing, and thanks yeah. to ministries like you. But um, uh, it's it, it was an unreached Middle East. Like that would not be the first things that people would think of as a place to go, or or even hearing that. Like it's um, yeah. But yet, yet you're it's resonating in you by the Spirit of God that there's going to be ministry for you in Northern Africa, Middle East. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's, I want, so I want to sort of go get there, but you get kind of Bible school, you and Sharon get married, you spend a couple of years in Napanee assisting. When it started church in London. London, how long were you in uh, London? There for, for four, five years. Okay. And then went, uh, worked uh, as an evangelist with another uh, evangelist for uh, a while, uh, for two years. Okay, so that was your introduction to traveling evangelistic ministry? Uh, yeah, I learned I a mean, lot. other than yeah, past yeah, evangelists yeah, sure. no, and no, stuff. No, no, I learned a lot. I yeah. learned a lot. Uh, yeah. It was my introduction to traveling. 
uh, traveling because you're church, not church you're pastoring no. your yeah no. church the church in Canada. So I was I was director of the Bible school and then uh, preaching across Canada as well. So I mean a okay. lot of the doors that I have today yeah. started back well you know some some of them anyways okay um, back then and as we traveled uh, so and then of course did ministry in Africa. So tell me just the begins how this whole global harvest ministries how all that began like how did you begin crusades because. You're holding crusades in North Africa with thousands of people in attendance. I mean, you're seeing the numbers, you know, it's even a little bit hard. I was going to, like, it's a little hard even for people to get their heads around totally because you give this huge number and it's like, like, that's just, like, it just blows the mind. Like, you hear it and you kind of applaud, yeah, that's cool, but, you know, 10,000 people or, you know, 20,000. I mean, I don't know what the biggest crowds you've had, but... Biggest crowd, 50,000. 50,000, okay. Biggest yeah. biggest number of people saved in a month was 93,000. Okay, so those are just <laughs> insane numbers. It's crazy, it is. Yeah, uh, and I mean, and, and not in an easy place. Not in easy places. Like but, we're not, but the harvest is great where right. the gospel's not been preached. Yeah, I, I know that you know that. And uh, so how did all this, uh, well, before even that, I know you keep a, a total of salvations. Like today you're at... 2.8 million? 2, 2, 2 million 850,000. Of people that have responded to salvation. Not since, that, since 99. Not that you've preached to. No, that's that's actual response. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And you know what? Yeah. I'm not that smart. Yeah. Uh, I know that's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. But I'm not that smart. I don't think consider myself to be the sharpest tool. But you know, God can use anybody. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it really is, it boils down to the call of God and your willingness to, to obey. It's not about how smart you are, how great you are, how, you know, right. all your giftings. It has to do with your willingness to obey God. And God opens the doors. It's very true. God can use, as the scripture says, the weak and the foolish thing. Ah. I'm not saying you're weak or no, foolish, no. but he can use, uh, but it's still, I mean, and. And obedience. You got to go where God tells you to go. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd rather minister to the boat people, you know, the one with the 95 foot yachts. Yeah, that would be my. I'd like that, you know. That would sure. be awesome, but that's not what God called me to do. Sure, and obviously somebody needs to reach them too. But it's where it's finding the place where God's called you to. That's where the sweet spot of success yeah. is, right? Yeah. And then also we define success different than, than a lot of people do. But obviously God has used you and Sharon and just a translate. So. Started in 1999, Global Harvest, was that even the name then? We or? started Global Harvest in the early 90s Okay. Uh, while I was still pastoring. Okay. And during that time, you know, you don't know yeah. how God's just leading you. Right? Yeah. He guides us with his eye. Yeah. And my father's favorite song is all the way the, the Savior lead me. Okay. Let, uh, and, and really, he, did. he does. He leads us. Yeah. You don't realize that what you're doing, you're actually setting yourself up because you're being obedient to God. Right. So during that a decade while I was pastoring, we made numerous trips over to Africa. Okay. And they had this, uh, Ethiopian Airlines had this fly Africa anywhere, anywhere in Africa for six, for six weeks, mm. uh, anywhere Ethiopian Airlines flies. And so that was the time that I took a couple of my board members from the church and without having any contacts whatsoever, we would fly from country to country uh, and land in the country and just believe that somehow God was going to open a door for ministry. Oh. And uh, we did that. <clears throat> so arriving unannounced. Super, with no contacts. Right. Just supernatural miracles. I tell you, uh, we had angel of visitations. We had provisions. We had doors open. 
uh, you know, just found the underground churches and places. One place I was, you know, just standing in front of the laundromat and God just said, just stay here. The guy's going to come out and ask you some questions. I found out he was the pastor of the underground church in, in Djibouti. No, sorry, Sabolia. Okay. And uh, in Djibouti, we met the underground past church uh, pastors from the church there. And just supernatural leadings all away across Northern Africa. Wow. And as we just landed and, and uh, believed God for open doors, yeah. uh, Northern Nigeria preaching one of the largest churches back then, uh, just without any contacts, just God led me to a place, uh, got, wow. in my ta- got in a taxi and just drove around with one of my board members and felt the Spirit say stop and we stopped. And So it was a supernatural, we don't operate our ministry like that now, yeah. but it, those are the things, that's the foundation for what we're doing now. Those are the, those are the connections yeah. that, that I don't believe anybody else had. Right that uh, God made for us before we ever went into full-time missionary evangelism. So you remember some of your early crusades, obviously, and uh, sure, obviously I did some early crusades. it grows and it builds. It's some early crusades while we were pastoring in Picton. Okay. And so, you know, also had the, the, the joy of having a church behind me, like yeah. really behind me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd take some time. We'd go over with some of our board members and the whole crusade. And, yeah. and uh, one of my first crusades was in um, uh, Ashama, Ghana. Okay. Uh, it was a black ghetto. Um, today, it's actually very, you know, well uh, civilized and you know, modern buildings and whatnot. But back then, it was pretty, uh, pretty rough right. and uh, undeveloped. But we had, we had uh, twenty five thousand people saved. That yeah. kind of built my confidence as to what could be done and and, and the fact that I. With the help of God, I can do it, you know. So, uh, so, so 20 years, well, even more now, almost 30 years, mm-hmm. crusades in Northern Africa. Yeah. Africa, Northern Africa. Yeah. But we, we were doing, like, I, in Bible college, I went back and did a small crusade yeah. in Bible. Okay, so, so. It was just small crusades, smaller crusades, and then they got bigger and bigger. And of course, and, of course. No. Everything that starts. Incremental. Like, yeah, grows. Um, and, uh, and your message has never changed, obviously. Uh, I, ABCs of the gospel, man. Well, I was gonna say Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus fills with the Spirit, Jesus coming back. Right? That's, I mean, that's the, about the, it. The four square gospel. Yeah. Um, but obviously, healing is a major emphasis in your ministry. Supernatural. And just a little bit of what you've seen over the years, as far as miracles and. We have seen everything. We've had we've had uh, three people raised from the dead. Oh. Uh, let me say, not by my faith. I don't think my faith was there. Uh, it's not there every day for raising people from the dead. Uh, it was a gift of faith. Um, I, I, one time a person got raised from the dead, I didn't even know what I was doing, really, literally. So when you uh, say that, was, did, were you, someone, uh, they brought a dead person? or you? Yeah, they brought a dead person to crusade, and we kind of held back because we were waiting for them to be, the body to be taken away. It was in uh, a remote place in South Sudan, right. and uh, we were preaching there. People had never seen white people, and uh, so they came out uh, by the tens of thousands. And we were at late three or four days. I'd been sleeping on the fields for you know three or four nights, uh, and 20,000 people sleeping on the fields, just waiting for us to come. They weren't saved. They just heard that somebody was come to to work, work miracles and and see people that were sick healed. Right. And so they brought this person that was sick. She died before we started the first night. Um, they left her on the field. They were going to get a, a donkey uh, to take her away or a motorcycle. There wasn't many motorcycles there. but uh, So they asked us if we'd just be, uh, have some dignity and let her, have, give her some dignity and let her just stay there until, um, not start the crusade until, you know. And so uh, 
but I felt in my spirit after a while waiting that we're just supposed to get things going. So I never start my crusades. Usually you go for two or three hours with music and, and testimonies and whatnot before. But uh, at this time, um, I just said, I'm going to start it. I want them to know that I'm here and that I'm going to keep my word to have a crusade because I don't want anybody disappointed and, or, you know, feel like we're not keeping our words. So I got up and just prayed. And while I was praying, I just said, I speak the healing power of Jesus all over this field. Right. And I declared the life of God. And while I said the life of God, this lady came, came back to life. And it just caused a crazy stir. stir. Crazy stir. I mean, really... And uh, so when we, but the interesting thing, Pastor Tim, is she, she came back to life, but she was still all twisted up, and, you know, like this, and drool, and just, you know, she would look like she was going to die again. Yeah. And so the, I'm out there, I preached healing the first night, people could heal, man's eyes were open, blind man, uh, but she went away, still crippled, and I went back uh, to my little hut, and I thought, God, you know, why would you raise her from the dead if you're not going to heal her? Come on now. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until the last night, fifth night of the crusade, that uh, during the day we'd pray for the sick, and she was there. And so uh, it was, I, I made a mistake. I said, we're going to pray for all the sick people in the morning. Uh, uh, well, what happened was uh, we didn't have any breakdowns that day, so all our staff were available. So I said, well, I want to just go over there and have a teaching session. Usually we didn't do it back then. And so we started a little teaching session, and we had 20 and 30 and 40. When there was about 300 people, I said, I'll, after I'm finished, I'll lay hands on everybody. Well, in between when I started teaching and finished teaching, there was about 7,000 people just showed up. Oh. And uh, so, I, true to my word, I'm going to keep my word, so I'm going to pray for everybody. But you can't, you know, 7,000 people takes a long time. So time. you're like, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In a line, and you're just going, in the name of Jesus. Well, when I got to her, I just said, you'll live and not die. And it was on video. You know, she comes through like this. They're dragging her. And that night, she was totally healed. So... Um, just supernatural miracles like that, uh, just humbling, yet there you get humbled. I remember one time, uh, there was a big line of people being prayed for. Now, most of the time in the Crusades, we don't pray for people by touching them. But in this place, it was a big line of people being prayed for. And I, I stand on a chair when I pray for people because I could just, you know, go sure. like this. Everybody has their style. Right. And so my style is, I, I, you know, I get tired when I'm preaching, so, I mean... Uh, you know, people say, why do you sweat when you're, you know, preaching? Well, it's called the work of the ministry, and I work, I sweat when I work, so I'm praying for people, I'm tired, and so I'm just trying to make it as easy as possible so I can just put my hand on their head and just pray for them. And I remember looking down and thinking, oh, this lady's crippled, she's on her hands and knees, and, you know, this is my, this is where I was at, okay? You don't judge me, but I was thinking, well, man, I'm going to have to get off this chair, and I'm going to have to get back up again, I'm so tired. And that's, that's where my head was at. I'm sorry. I was, you know, I'm not as spiritual as everybody else, i got to be honest. Uh, but I got down off the chair, and I prayed for her. And when I did, she just jumped up. She had calluses all over her legs, all over her hands, and just jumped up. Started running around. Of course, created a real ruckus. But I'm so glad I got off the chair, <laughs> you know, right. uh, to see her heal. So sure. um, a lot of times God uses, uses us because we're, he uses us because we're willing. Yeah. But sometimes he uses us in spite of us. He sure. knows our heart. Absolutely. Spirit's willing. Flesh is weak, you know, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously miracles have been a big part. Um, and it's it even obviously announces the gospel. It's, sure. So it's like the dinner bell that rings to come and, Absolutely. you know. Um, in those years, so you just seen growth. I want to get to, to the Middle East just recently as we'll finish here. But you did have some your own challenges, though. I mean, here you're a miracle ministry through those years. 
and um, seeing the power of God, seeing thousands come to the Lord. But you've also, we obviously we also have challenges and hardships that come in the ministry. Absolutely. And during that time, I know you uh, were fighting a sickness in your body that's the, the flesh-eating virus or something you picked up, right? Was that during the crusade time or was that earlier on? It was It was during the time when I was, you know, just getting ready and going from country to country. But I didn't pick it up because I was in, a, in, in those countries. It right. was just something that came. It was uh, nine other people that... Was uh, it the same time that the Quebec premier... It was just after that. Just after... Just a few months, so, 1995. So some people would remember... Um, was it Lucien Bouchard? Lucien Bouchard, yeah. Uh, who was the premier. Leg, yeah. Lost his leg. He was really pushing separation from Canada. Then yep. he got this... And you contracted this. Just a few months later, yeah. nine other people contracted it. Yeah. Between um, between uh, Colburg and Ottawa. Okay. Nine people, uh, other people. Yeah. Um, it, it was in newspapers. Ten people uh, contract a uh, flesh-eating virus. Yeah. Nine people die. Preacher, preacher loses his middle finger. Right. So, <laughs> I think that's hilarious. It is. So, I mean, not that you lost your finger. No, <laughs> but wasn't there some kind of, like, preacher gives the devil the middle fingers? Well, you know, it's, you know, all the years, you know, people keep asking. And, 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 you know, firstly, I am so grateful to God had it not been for the prayers of the saints. I mean, for Did you have a moment in there where you're just like, God, what's happening here? I mean, I'm struggling. Or you just, I, or you had a gift of I faith. Had, I had time afterwards, uh, months later, that I had a moment. You know, then, but when I was going through it, I had great joy and confidence that I was going to come through it. I can't, it was absolutely supernatural uh, uh, confidence that I had that I was going to go through. Never once thought I was going to die. Everybody else did. Um, you know, so here you are in these major care for like nine days. Yeah, major crusades, scenes, the power of God, and here you get hit with this. But uh, you saw, you know, it's one thing to see miracles happen in other people's lives, even God use you. But then, of course, when it touches you, right, it's it's uh, like you have to then believe for you. you yeah, know? and, and you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. And, and everybody, you know, some people say, well, I just believe God no matter what. You know, and I get that. I understand that. But when you're faced, for example, when I was in the hospital, um, I went in with pain in my, my finger. It looked ridiculous. I was in such pain. Um, in the morning, I, I, you know, had pain in my finger. By lunchtime, I, I couldn't get my clothes, change my clothes to go to the hospital because I've been working out in the woods. And uh, by by dinner time, couldn't my bodily functions weren't working. And the night I went to the surgery, um, you know, it was just so quick uh, what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that time, I was all alone in the hospital the next day after they'd done one surgery. And they had discovered that day that it was the flesh-eating virus. Mm-hmm. And nine other people had died. And here I am um, in the hospital, and the doctors come in and say, we're going to cut off your hand. And I say, well, what happens if I don't sign? Then they say, well, you'll be dead in, you know, nine or ten hours. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, what do you do? I got my parents, they're a little bit older at the time. At least I considered to be, you know, my dad's still alive, so they weren't that old. (laughs) But um, uh, I remember, you know, thinking, should I call my parents? I called my, I couldn't get a hold of my wife. She had left. With the kids, gone home to change. She's come back to pick me up, pick me up out of the hospital. That's what she thought. Right. And so I couldn't get a hold of her because uh, we didn't have cell phones. Uh, at least I didn't have one back in '95. Right. And uh, so I couldn't get a hold of her. So I called my secretary and said, "You know, I don't know what to do." She said, "Well, you sign. Let's believe God that they don't mm-hmm. uh, have to cut anything off, and we'll pray." And so they right. prayed and signed. It was a combination. Well, I didn't lose my 
Uh, I didn't lose my hand, so I think that's a testimony. Right. I came through it. I didn't lose my life. That's even a bigger testimony. Right. I lost my middle finger, which was disappointing. Right. But uh, what I say is, you know, uh, back in 95, I gave the devil the finger, and right. that's all he's getting. You know? <laughs> so uh, kind of a good... Uh, Not just the finger, the middle finger. The middle finger, yeah, the middle finger, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... But I just brought that up because, um, you know, just the fact that... You know, we do face challenges, but, sure. God, but God brings us through. I've had malaria. I mean, I've had malaria six times. I had yeah. typhoid last yeah. last summer. Yeah. No, uh, you've, so you've, you've gone through some real I know you challenges. Even, I know you even said to me, you quoted the scriptures, I bear in my body the marks of, like, there's a cost, too. There's a price. Yeah, but, it's hard to know because we see so many people healed. Not everybody we pray for gets healed. Yeah. That's I think that's a given. Yeah. I, I don't know why it's a given, but it just seems like not everybody gets healed. Well, we see a incredible amount of miracles. And then you go through struggles yourself and you kind of wonder well, how that all works out. I just right. have to trust God through it all. Right. But I do bear my body. At one point I contracted a virus that, you know, has uh, still at moments when I'm tired can make my legs not move too easy or make me look like I'm 95 years old. So, right. but um, I do bear my body, the barks, uh, but I'm proud to preach the gospel and right. so so glad that he's called me to the ministry. So back in Bible school, uh, the call of God came, uh, Sister Brando like, said, no, you're with North Africa, but this thing of North Africa, Middle East. And it's just recently, in a greater way, maybe you've been there before, I don't know, but I just, just recently, like the Middle East begins, seems to be getting to open up. Or is that... Yeah, there's 22 countries in North Africa, and there's about 16 Middle Eastern countries that uh, are targeted. Um, about three years ago, I, started, I said, Lord, you know, he called me North Africa, Middle East. Of course, there was times when I felt like I wanted to go somewhere else, and I said, ah, oh, gee, I'm just limited to North Africa and Middle East. And, and I, God said, you know, I can tell you you couldn't go other places. I just want you to focus mostly on those areas. Hmm. So we try to focus mostly. Um, sometimes a tithe of what we do could be outside of the, that, those parameters. But... Um, so I, I said three years ago, I said, Lord, you know, I've been a lot of places in the world, but you know, you really haven't opened up North Africa or Middle East rather. Right. And, uh, so, uh, it was just a month later when I got a call from, uh, Qatar right. to come and preach there. And then now doors have opened into Kuwait. Our ministry has been there. I, I myself didn't go, but one of my, my uh, co-laborers <clears throat> went for me. Um, and uh, so we Kuwait and Saudi Arabia is opening up, and it just seems like the Middle Eastern countries are really opening up. It's it's a different kind of ministry, but uh, it's it's awesome to see what God's doing in countries where people just think that there's no. I mean, you think about Iran right now. I mean, there's tens of thousands of Christians. There's revival right. in those nations. Right. And uh, God C is moving. CTV in, News doesn't talk about it. They or don't. CBS, they CBC area. Yeah. yeah, CNN. Yeah, yeah, tremendous move of God. And you were just in uh, Pakistan. Pakistan. You know, this is where you know people say. You know, I hear people say, "Well, you know, it doesn't seem like there's much ministry available right now." And it's just that everybody wants to fish in the same pond. Right. And uh, you know, if if you're willing to fish in a different pond, if you're willing to go somewhere else uh, where it's not easy, you'll find out that the harvest is so big. Right. It's crazy. Right. Big. That's why I say, like, I can say right now, I could use, if I had 25 missionary couples, yeah. so if you're somebody who wants to be used by God and feel God's calling you, I could use 25 missionary couples right now. Right. You know, I, I can't, you know, you'd have to kind of raise your salary, but there's places, right. there's ministry opportunities, there's places where you can make an impact, where you can see people save right. 20, 30, 40, 50 people a day and make a difference. It's just, 
It's just that we've all fished in the same pond, right. and uh, some of the people that you know we're trying to share the gospel with have heard it before. Where there's stacks of people around the world right. that have never heard the gospel. Right. Pakistan is one of those places. We right. went into places, city, little towns, where there's you know Bible study of five or ten people, and because we were there, you know, we didn't take a long time to organize this, but because we were there, uh, you know, we were able to quickly gather together a crowd of 100, 200 people and see these people make decisions, and they are not. Hard to, to reach. I mean, you preach wow. one message, they raise their hand, they want to be saved. Wow. And it's just phenomenal. I mean, yeah. um, I'd say, and this sounds hard to believe, but I say the majority of time when I preach the gospel and get an appeal for salvation outside of North America, almost everybody in the crowd raises their hands. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm preaching to people that haven't heard the gospel. Right. So, so uh, next ne next number of years, you just keep going, keep moving forward with the global harvest. North Africa, Middle North East, Africa, Middle and East. Then, uh, you know, we also have Canada. operations in Philippines and Thailand and whatnot. So, yep. just keeping, you know, just keep on moving. I'm believing God for 10 million souls uh, before I leave this earth. Okay. Well, I start so off. So you got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I mean, still got a lot, but yeah. I, you know, I, I started believing God for 50,000 people. Right. Uh, uh, when we first start off, I went into full-time evangelism in 1999 and, uh, you know, started telling people and people thought, like, who do you think you are? And, and I've been in ministry for 17 years, right. but uh, didn't have, in that first year, we saw over 50,000 people come to the Lord. So I started to raise my, my stake size. So we're 10 million people we believe in God for. Wow. I believe we can see it happen. Awesome. Well, it's a blessing to, uh, to know you, to call you a friend and a brother. And uh, just bless what God's doing and exciting to hear the reports. And thanks for taking the time today to share a little bit about, about your life and Global Harvest. I know there's lots of stories we could yet tell. Maybe you had just one word of uh, something just comes up in your spirit real quick. Just one little exhortation. <laughs> Acts, Acts 1 verse 11. Yeah. <laughs> I think is probably one of my biggest motivational scriptures that uh, touches my heart. It says, you man of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? The same Jesus will come again in like manner as you've seen him go. So to me, that scripture is, is a, an important message to believers. Yeah. Uh, we can sit here and argue about, you know, context and, you know, different opinions about certain scriptures. Sure. We can um, argue about when Christ is coming back and is this the moment and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the angels just said to the disciples, look, he's coming back again. Right. And uh, signs and times are everywhere, but you know, get with the program. What What are you doing standing here? Right. Um, I'll tell you right now, folks. If you listen to this, you want to make a difference. Uh, you want to go out with a bang, make your life count. Come and talk to me. There are literally hundreds of places around the world, if not thousands, of places around the world where you could make a difference. God would help you if you believe God to make a difference. Maybe God's calling you while you're listening to this right now. Amen. You can make a difference, Amen. and you can be used by God. And you can make the remainder of your life count. And so there is a harvest, and we need to get at it. I know you're busy, uh, and yep. you're working every hour of the day. <laughs> you work hard, but uh, we, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people that just sit around and watch TV and wonder why God's not using them. Right. Well, thank God. Thank God you're making a difference, my friend. And we bless you. So everybody, we uh, trust you enjoyed this little interview, getting to know Mark and uh, the ministry. And uh, just know that you can make a difference right where you are and just be open to the Spirit of God and obedience to what He tells you to do. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. And uh, amen. So have a wonderful day, everybody.